Hi everyone, I'm Frank Rock and welcome to the From the Hack podcast for week 36 of the 2017-2018 curling season. This week we are joined by Jamie Sinclair of Team Sinclair and Mark Kennedy of Team Cooey, fresh off their respective victories at the 2018 Players' Championship, the crown jewel of the Pinty's Grand Slam of Curling. And we will also look ahead to the 2018 World Mixed Doubles Curling Championship taking place next week in Östersund, Sweden. All that and more this week, but first, Canadian musician and non-curler extraordinaire Jimmy Reed plays us into the podcast. As mentioned, the Players' Championship took place in Toronto last week with 12 men's and 12 women's teams competing not only for the prestigious title of the Players' Champion, but also competing for the Rogers Grand Slam Cup, which is awarded annually to the men's and women's teams with the most bonus points accumulated over the course of each season's Grand Slam events, with $150,000 in bonus money being handed out in both the men's and women's divisions. There were several storylines heading into the Players' Championship, including how both Team Jones and Team Adeen would perform after their recent World Championship victories, how Team Holman would fare in their first event as a team since the Olympics, and there was also a lot of interest in how several of the teams would play, considering that almost half of the teams in both the men's and women's events had already announced they were splitting up at the end of the current season. There were few surprises in the men's event where four of the top five ranked teams in the world reached the semifinals. Team Adin defeated Team Gushu 6-5 by stealing single points in both the 7th and 8th ends, while Team Kui won the other semi-final, scoring a point in the extra end to defeat Team McCune by a score of 5-4. In the final, Team Kui took control early in the game, made few mistakes throughout, and defeated Team Adin 6-2 to capture their first Players' Championship and their second Grand Slam title since the team was formed in 2014. Mark Kennedy, the third for Team Cooey, who will be stepping back from the sport at the end of the current season, joined us to not only discuss his team's win at the Players' Championship, but also to touch on a few timely topics for the sport of curling. Mark, after the disappointment at the Olympics, how important was it for you and the team in one of your final events together to play the way you did in Toronto and come away with a first Players' Championship as a team? Uh, I think it was it was important um, just to leave on a on a good note and to feel like, yeah, it just felt great. Like, we worked really hard, and, you know, you and I talked before. We were only a couple shots away from bringing home a medal, so uh, we've had a great season, you know. Olympics was a disappointment, but we've played really well at the Slams. This is our best year for the Slams uh, out of the four years we've played. It was great, and to cap it off with another major victory to go with the Olympic trials, and uh, it was nice to rebound after what happened in Korea. You've let it be known that uh, you knew at the very start of the season that you would be taking a step back from the sport of curling once this cycle was over. Did knowing this allow you to approach the season any differently? Has it allowed you to play more freely this season, knowing that it would not matter if you had no gas left in the tank when the season ended? No, I think in looking back, it did. Um, I think in my, even in my training in the summer, uh, that's kind of where it started, where I thought, you know, let's, Let's give it everything you have because this is probably your last real kick at the can. And then even leading up to the trials, just trying to leave it all out there and 
you know, enjoy every minute. And I think it allowed me to not focus so much on the misses or, or where I needed to improve, you know. It, I didn't have a long-term process in mind. It was just give it everything you have right now, leave it all out here because uh, you're not going to get this opportunity again. So I think it definitely changed my mindset a little bit, uh, probably for the better. I think it helped me perform that much better and really enjoy it and uh, really go after it. Since both you and Jill Officer announced that you were taking a step back from the sport, the Canadian curling community and the curling world as a whole has turned the past couple of months into somewhat of an extended appreciation campaign for the both of you. Being an elite athlete can be insular sometimes in that you can get so caught up in doing your own thing that you don't realize how appreciated you are and the role you fill within the larger curling community. Has the response to your announcement provided you any food for thought moving forward? I know you haven't used the quote-unquote R word, so I'm wondering if there might be a chance that we'll see you back on the World Curling Tour once you've had a chance to heal your nagging injuries and catch your breath a little. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't rule that out. I think there's definitely a, a chance. There always was in the back of my head uh, a thought that, you know, with a bit of a break and, you know, getting refreshed and getting healed up and, you know, maybe missing the game a little bit might lead me back to it. You know, on the other side, what you're saying, the response from the curling community and the, and the fans in general have been, uh, yeah, it's been a bit overwhelming. You know, I, I kind of wanted to just step away quietly uh, but I realized pretty quickly that that wasn't the way it was going to go. Uh, and so I've been incredibly appreciative and uh, overwhelmed with the response I've gotten from people that have just enjoyed watching me and my teammates curl over the years. Uh, it's been heartwarming and special for, for Nicole and I both um, to, to just to be able to go out like this and over an extended period of time, like you said, and have people appreciate it every city we go it's actually been really really cool and I've enjoyed it but yeah I don't uh I can't tell you right now it's all after winning a big event it's like yeah let's get healed up and get ready and I'll be good to go in a year so I got to be a little careful because I can I can feel the game pulling me back in already you know what I mean and you probably haven't seen your wife's honey-do list yet no I, I mean her and I have talked a lot um you know going over the last couple months since I've made my announcement and you know, there's been a lot of emotions involved because this has been a huge, huge part of our life. So uh, it's going to be some big changes, but I, I still know it's the right thing in my heart and, and my head and for my body. So it's, uh, we'll see. I just, I say that. Let's let's see what happens. I'll see if I can get healthy, get healed up, you know, see how the, see how everything goes. And if I have this burning desire and urge to get back into the game, I will. And if I enjoy my time away and and feel at peace with uh, my career, then I'll stay away. We'll just, we'll kind of take it year by year. In an interview I did with Carson Sturmey following his team's victory at the Canadian University Championship, we got to discussing the fact that there are few, if any, younger players that have been quote-unquote promoted to elite teams for the next Olympic cycle. Basically what's happened is that the same players have simply moved around, familiar faces in new places, if you will, making it difficult for players like Carson and Tyler Tardy, Tanner Horgan, JT Ryan, Matt Hall, and others from gaining experience on the front end playing for an experienced skip. Do you think that this could ultimately cause some issues in the development of the next generation of elite curlers in Canada? Actually, Carson and I spoke about it specifically at the Savile Centre one day and brought up some of those concerns. I was the one that actually said to him, you know, the way the sport has gone, especially with the residency rules, uh, 15 years ago, if you wanted to find a good curler, you had to go within your province. So Kevin Cooey, Kevin Martin, you know, they were looking for good young players. 
because they needed somebody in Alberta. So that's how the Carter Wright Crofts got fight for myself. That's how we got our opportunities, just like you said. And then you spend a couple of years on tour playing front end, and you're kind of protected by your good back end players. You know, if you're not good enough, it's just it was a great way to learn. And then now with uh, the residency opening up, and you don't have to do that anymore. It's it's tough for guys like Karsten and for Brendan Botcher and. They really have to cut their own teeth, and it takes a good five or six years for them to get good. The unfortunate part with that is that gets really expensive, and you're spending time away from you know work and family, and uh, I think it does hinder the development a little bit. I do. Um, on the other side of the coin, having some good talks with Nolan Thiessen over the past few months, trying to make some changes to the to the junior program in Canada so that we can increase the amount of athletes that get a good look you know we have a national championship where we have 12 teams what if we open that up to 24 teams or 32 teams so a lot of these younger players get access to arena ice and get access to some canadian coaches and and uh the eyes of canada of curling canada get to see the development in front of them of more players just getting them more access i think that's important as well so back to your original question, I think it is a concern, but I don't really have the answers. You know, somebody like Brendan Botcher has figured it out. He's put in the time and sacrificed and, you know, gone on the road and probably had years where he's lost money in order to get to the level he's at. So there are some guys that are willing to commit to it and and uh, make the sacrifices to get there, and, and maybe that's just what you have to do now to, to get good. I don't know. And finally, Mark, another subject that was making the rounds at the Players' Championship was news that Sweden had pulled much of its Olympic funding for athletes in general, impacting Team Adin and Team Hasselberg. This brought on a larger discussion about how the sport of curling is at somewhat of a crossroads right now where the demands on athletes, if they want to perform at the highest level, requires them to play in 8 to 10 to 12 week-long events a year, including slams, playdowns, nationals, Canada Cup, etc., but where corporate sponsorship and prize money, although it's improved significantly over the past few years, are still not at a level where most elite curlers can afford to step away from their regular work and focus on curling. Now, I realize that we could chat for an hour about this particular topic, but in short, what do you believe are the next steps that the sport might take to address this reality? It is a big issue in curling. I've said for years we're an amateur sport that's on the verge of being professional. Um, there are quite a few guys that are now making a living at the sport because of corporate sponsorship and, and government funding and winnings. Um, so there are some guys doing really well. I don't know what the next step is. Uh, I think, you know, hopefully John Schuster winning gets some more corporate money out of the U.S. Uh, I think, I know the Slams are still trying their best to sell as much sponsorship as possible. It, it's, it's getting better. It really is. I do think some teams need to work a little harder at getting corporate sponsorship. It's out there. You just have to look in the right places. Uh, you have to do the right things. You have to be willing to offer, um, you know, appearances and that type of thing. It, it, it's out there. You just have to go find it. Eventually, the day will come where curlers are making millions of dollars. I honestly believe that. It might be 20, 30 years from now, but it's it's coming. Uh, for the meantime, it's it's a bit of a grind and a struggle. And I've, you know, Kevin Martin used to say it, say it best: if you work hard and you'll win your fair share, and winning takes care of everything. Winning takes care of of sponsors, and and winning takes care of paying your expenses. And so, if you can just 
I know it's easy to say, but if you can work hard and get access to good ice and practice and work your way up the point system and start winning, then the money starts to come in a little bit easier. It's not great yet, but, uh, you know, this, look how far the sport's come in the last 10 years. I can only imagine where it's going to be in another 10 years from now. In the Women's Vanity Players Championship, the biggest surprise may have been the fact that Team Hasselberg did not reach the semifinals in a season where they had reached the semis in all but two of their previous 12 events. In their place was U.S. Champions Team Sinclair, who not only defeated Hasselborg in the quarterfinals, but also defeated perennial Grand Slam powerhouse Team Tiranzoni of Switzerland 5-4 in the semis to reach their first Grand Slam final. The other semifinals saw a rematch of the Scottish final, with Team Jones defeating Team Anderson 7-5 by stealing two points in the eighth end. In the final, Team Sinclair continued to surprise and impress by stealing four points in the first half of the final to take a 4-0 lead over Team Jones at the break and putting the game away with a delicate hit for three in the seventh for a 7-2 win and a first-ever Grand Slam title by an American team. We caught up with Jamie Sinclair following your team's big win in Toronto. And Jamie, when we last heard from you in the media scrum following your loss in the semifinal at the Worlds in North Bay, you indicated that you were going to take a little bit of time away from curling. But there you were, less than three weeks later, playing some of your most inspired curling at the players in Toronto. It would have been easy for you and the team to come out flat last week. What did you and the team do between the Worlds and the players that allowed you to find your A game in Toronto? It's a really good question. Um, after the Worlds um, definitely took some time off, world was just mentally and physically exhausting so all of us were quite beat so um, we definitely took some time away to just recover spend time uh, with friends and family but you know that that whole week we for me anyway just kept thinking about the world and and yes there was a lot of frustration but it was really kind of fueling me to to do more because I I felt like we could have come home with uh, with some kind of hardware so um, it was definitely kind of fueling my drive to come back and and kind of prove that uh, we deserve to be at the top one of the one of the top teams in the world so um, I think it was more just a mental thing than than anything just really going out uh, with uh, with something to prove. I want to take you back to your first rock of your first slam finally, double takeout, and you made it. That had to feel good. I'm guessing it helped you settle into the game a little bit from that point on. Yes, that definitely was a good way to start the game. <laughs> I felt pretty confident uh, putting the broom down and throwing the right speed, so I was happy that uh, the two of those uh, together resulted in, in a made shot. Now, we're speaking some 24 hours after the final in Toronto. Has it started to register yet that you, Alex, Vicky, and Monica just became the first ever U.S. team to win a Grand Slam event? <laughs> I don't know how many times I've caught myself today saying, I can't believe we just won the players' shit. Like, I just can't, I can't believe it. <laughs> so I'm still kind of on cloud nine, still kind of soaking it in. And I think, honestly, I, I still think it's going to take a couple days for, for me to kind of realize the bigger picture um, about how this affects U.S. curling, how it affects our team, uh, what kind of opportunities might come from this in the future, and just um, how it's going to set us up for for next year. I think it's just going to take a few days to kind of realize everything else that goes along with this win. One last question about the players. You had just recently played Team Jones at the World Championship, where the atmosphere was much more intense, the crowd was much noisier, and where they, as Team Canada, were the clear favorites. How much did that experience in North Bay a few weeks ago help you and the team at the Players' Championship in the final against the very same Team Jennifer Jones? 
Right, yeah, it was very different atmospheres. Like like you said, at the Worlds, it was just an insane crowd, uh, amazing energy, but it was very loud. Um, so we actually we had to learn a lot from that uh, experience, <laughs> just learning how to communicate when you can't hear anything out there. So we learned a lot from there, but then coming into this final, even though the crowd was still, uh, there was still a lot of people and it was, it was still quite a good crowd, I swear in the first two ends of the game, you could hear a pin drop. It was so quiet out there. Um, so definitely uh, a, a very different kind of final championship, final game. Um, but both in both cases, we had to we had to learn how how to play in that situation. We found ourselves in the first couple of ends of this uh, final against Jones at the Players Championship. We found that since it was so quiet, that we were starting to get a little bit quiet, maybe not talking as much as we normally would. So just trying to overcome that, and uh, even though it was quiet out there, to still communicate like we would in, in any other game. And Jamie, over the past couple of months, you've experienced the highs and lows of elite curling the way you've never experienced it before. From the disappointment of the U.S. Olympic trials to winning your second U.S. championship to losing the bronze medal game at the Worlds and then winning your first ever Grand Slam title at the Players' Championship in Toronto. Can you try and put into words what this roller coaster ride has been like for you this season? Well, that's just it. It has been a roller coaster, no doubt. A lot of ups and downs. I think I can honestly say that it's been the toughest season of my career so far, um, not only because it was so long, it was one of the, we played the most amount of events that we've ever played in a season, um, but it also uh, emotionally challenging because of all those ups and downs, went through some of the most heartbreaking losses, like that Olympic trials final and that, that bronze medal game, but um, we've also had the most success that we've ever had in this season. So uh, enjoying a lot of highs as well. And I think this season we have definitely come come the farthest we've learned the most kind of in our game to to the next level so it's really exciting even though it's been an extremely tough season i i really think it's just the beginning for us we're just starting to um to kind of cross over into that next uh level of play and and it's extremely exciting for us and we just we can't wait to to play more and and to keep getting better Correct me if I'm wrong, but your team has started leaning on analytics to help you with strategy against different opponents over the last few months. What impact has this added information had on your preparation and performance for different games and different events? Yeah, we, we've definitely kind of dug into the analytics a little bit. We got uh, Jason Gummingson on board helping out the team. Um, and he's just been fantastic uh, kind of giving us information on our oppositions to kind of develop a game plan that's specific to them. Um, and it's really helped kind of give us a clear idea of how we're going to go out and play the game and, you know, gives me a little bit more confidence in the game plan, how we're going to execute and how the strategy is going to play out. So I think it's it's made a huge difference. Uh, we've only been kind of doing this for almost two months now, but we, we feel that our, our game is, is just, it just keeps getting better and we're getting more comfortable with it. And uh, it's, I, it's just, it's really exciting. I absolutely love the, the analytics side. Typically, the end of an Olympic cycle leads to lineup changes on teams around the world. I'm guessing that there are no plans to split up a team that has won two consecutive U.S. championships and just became the first American team to win a Grand Slam event. But stranger things have happened. So I'm wondering if you might be able to confirm if you, Alex, Vicky, and Monica are planning on sticking together for the start of the next cycle. Well, you know, it's always interesting, um, kind of the way that they do it in the United States. It's it's not really up to the players. 
uh, in the summer, there will be a bunch of meetings with the coaching staff and with the Olympic Committee figuring out what, uh, what the budgets are and then uh, they'll also be determining what the teams are. So I wish I could give you a, a straight answer, but unfortunately not really up to us at the end of the day. You've obviously taken some great strides as a team this season, though. What do you have to work on to take that next step and remain competitive week in, week out on the World Curling Tour so that you can be mentioned in the same breath as the Holmans and the Joneses, the Hasselbergs, Muirheads, and Tiranzonis in the next cycle? I think it comes down to just consistency. We've we've proven that we can string together uh, a lot of good shots, but we just need to be able to go out there and do that on a more regular basis. So it just goes back to to practicing you know being able to to throw the hit weights the exact same every time relying on consistent draw weight you know just being able to to play at a, a consistent consistently higher level and finally jamie to the victors go the spoils your team won a total of seventy thousand dollars at the players championship which is about as much as you had won the last two seasons combined on the world curling tour so is your share going towards a previously unplanned trip or is it all going into the house you just bought and are renovating? That's exactly it. I found out about the money and I said, this is amazing. I can buy a fridge. I can buy a stove. Maybe, maybe even splurge for a dishwasher. Like, I'm on cloud nine. So excited for new appliances. <laughs> The 2018 Canadian Under-18 Curling Championships took place in St. Andrews in Brunswick last week, with teams from Nova Scotia claiming gold medals in both the Under-18 Boys and Under-18 Girls divisions. It was the second straight year where one province or territory has swept both the girls' and boys' titles after Northern Ontario accomplished this feat last year in Moncton. Graham Weagle's Nova Scotia boys team from Chester won the boys final 10-6 over Alberta's Ryan Jacques of Edmonton, while Isabelle Ledoussard's Laura Sagville team prevailed 4-3 over Saskatchewan's Skylar Ackerman from Moose Jaw in the girls final. It has been a good year for junior curling in Nova Scotia with Team Weagle and Team Ledoussard joining Caitlin Jones' Halifax women's team as national champions. You'll remember that Team Jones won the 2018 Canadian Junior Championships in Srewinigan, Quebec, and followed that up by winning the 2018 World Junior Championships in Aberdeen, Scotland. 40 countries will be participating at the 2018 World Mixed Doubles Curling Championship in Östersund, Sweden next week, with Finland and South Korea being the only two countries represented by the same team at both this year's Olympics and the World Championship. The result is that an event that has typically been somewhat unpredictable will likely see a few interesting results throughout the week. However, there are a few teams in the field that do stand out heading into the Mixed Doubles Worlds. Obviously, the team of Laura Crocker and Kirk Myers of Canada who had to overcome a field at the Canadian Championship that was arguably deeper than the one they will face at Worlds. The field does include five of the top ten ranked mixed doubles duos in the world this season, including the teams that will represent the Czech Republic, Hungary, Russia, Estonia, and Switzerland. For their part, the United States will be represented by Corey Dropkin, who plays for the 20th ranked men's team in the world, and Sarah Anderson, who stepped in for Jamie Sinclair as Dropkin's partner for this year's U.S. Championship. And that does it for this episode of the From the Hack Podcast. I'd like to thank each of our guests this week. Join us next week for more news and notes from the world of Chrome. I'm Frank Rock, and this is From the Hack. <laughs>